My goal is to serve brokerages. And so I do a lot, as much as I can, to not just reach out and let people know what's happening, but also to hear what are the pain points, what are the problems that need to be solved. I am motivated by the big, hairy, audacious goals. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Risser, General Manager of U.S. Sales and Marketing for Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform allowing you to leverage the power of your verified reviews. Listen in as I interview leaders in the industry, getting their backstories and their journey to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 260 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As I always say, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much for telling a friend. My guest today is Rebecca Jensen. Rebecca is the CEO of Midwest Real Estate Data, better known as MRED, and we're going to get her story. I can't wait to get started. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Look, I'm, I've been trying to get a, uh, connected with you since Inman, New York. That's where I saw you. I think one of the last events where we could all be places together. Yeah. It's ages ago, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It's a long time yeah. ago. And I think you were you were moderating and handling a data kind of track, mm-hmm. which was, look, I like data. And I think you know not everybody is a big data freak. Was that sure. a safe assumption? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it would, but you really, I, I thought you did a great job. And I, 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 I kind of, as an ambassador, kind of sidled up alongside you and said, Hey, I would love to interview you on the show. And then we finally, here we are, you know, 10 months later, uh, able to do it. So thank you so much for doing this. It's no, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Because I know that not everyone loves data and, you know, it is a passion of mine. So, I, you know, compatriots seems like. <laughs> so yeah. Perfect. So I know, um, looking at some of the research I do before I, you know, talk to a guest that that you attended high school and college in Salt Lake City. Can I just assume a native of Utah? Yes, born and raised, and then moved to Chicago land uh, in 2015. So, the, talking about Utah, uh, my only trip to Utah was to go skiing at Brianhead, yeah. and this was in the late 80s. Yeah. And my wife destroyed her ACL on that trip. Yeah. Well, been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, I would recommend it, but that's being yeah. in Utah sometimes contains. So, yeah. So, I mean, Salt Lake City is an amazing place, and I think for people that haven't been there, um, I mean, they think of the Great Salt Lake, they think of the skiing. Um, tell me what it's like, because I think you grew up in that area, right? Maybe it's mm-hmm. in the, out, the outskirts. Talk about growing up there, and just that unique, if nothing else, the unique geography of that area. Well, that was what it was like for me was I remember, you know, growing up there, not just when I was an adolescent, you know, going after school hiking. And I I actually didn't get into skiing until later in life, just because skiing is expensive, you know. And so I definitely did not grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth, Um by any stretch, but the mountains are always there. The trailheads are always there. And then when I became a parent myself, um, for those of you that are familiar with the suburbs, I never lived in the city of Salt Lake, but I was in the suburbs of Salt Lake. And, you know, I have two little boys that boys just have all kinds of energy. And it was uh, the ability to go within a five minute drive to a trailhead. And um, at the time I lived in Sandy, And so within five minute drive, 
there was my favorite trailhead for my young boys, Rocky Mouth, for those of you that are familiar. Uh, it's like a half mile hike. And then there's a 70 foot waterfall that is just spectacular. You know, in the springtime, it was full of water and the kids could just like be showered and just like pummeled, honestly, <laughs> in water and then it would go down the canyon. And I mean, so that is really one of the best things of Utah. The terrain is unparalleled. You have the Uintas that have like all of the, the trees and the forest, but then you have all of the desert area. You have the salt flats. You go to Southern Utah where they film movies that look like Mars, where it has like the arches, there's Goblin Valley. I mean, there's just so much geography has to offer that you can just take advantage of with a very short commute. And it is just like unparalleled to where, you know, that is what it was like for me to grow up there. It was also a uh, small Lake city was the, the nickname, right? Okay. So it's, it's small town. Um, so that community, that feel where you pretty much know everybody and they know you, <laughs> you know, that's also part of it. So um, sounds like that little, that little Midwestern town where uh, you can't do anything because one of the parents is going to know who you are and you're going to yeah, be in trouble. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. That like very that. much was the feel. So, yeah. I find that most people don't think about a career in the real estate space while they're in high school. So I'm going to make the assumption that that's the same with you, but, but I want to find out for sure. So when you're like 15 year old, Rebecca, what are you thinking about? What was, what was your dream, you know, as you move forward? Well, um, honestly, Bill, I dropped out of high school at 16 and it was because I learned that I could go to college and, you know, basically start my own career path. I didn't need the high school diploma. In fact, I never got that. I never got my GED. I just enrolled in my local community college and just started taking college classes at 16 and said, hey, I'm going to get my degree by the time my peers got their diploma. And, you know, I still got to go to prom and <laughs> you know, like that sort of thing. But I just didn't ever buy into this is the way that everyone needs to go. Uh, like the mainstream, this is like, you don't have any options. It's just never been me. So the 15 year old Rebecca was looking at, you know, what are the possible paths and what's the best way to get there. And if that doesn't happen to be the way that everyone else is doing it, I'm, I was fine with that. And I continue to be fine with that. So I, I can see where that attitude and that mindset is awesome for MRED <laughs> or was awesome for Utah real estate. Yeah. I think that's, I love to hear that. I, I did not know that. That's great. Um, so, so you, you get your degree and what were you going to do? What, what was the plan? Did you, did you, did you fall into the MLS world or the association world quickly, or was it a little bit of a gap? Well, so the degree that I got was my two year, it was just my general eds, which okay. I thought was better than a high school diploma. And then through a series of events, I ended up at the MLS in Utah. And really, like my dream was just to be in the technology field. Um, so I, I don't remember a time really that I didn't have a job. Like I know first grade, I was scraping dog kennels and babysitting and just doing anything that I could to 
you know, forge my own path and my own opportunities again, because I was literally hungry and wanted to like set off on my own from very, very young age. And so I knew that technology was something that set me apart from my peers at the time, whether that was in elementary or junior high school. I remember in junior high in seventh grade, I was given the opportunity to take an extracurricular class in Lotus Notes, which was like a spreadsheet, like the precursor to Microsoft Excel. And I didn't know what it was, but it was just like a better way to do math because I'm not one of those people that do math in my head very well, but heck, there, there was this awesome tool. And so I enrolled in that and I think I was the youngest kid in the class. It turned out to be like a continuing education class for adults. And so I was helping, you know, 30 something year old women and men figure out that technology and I could do it. And so it's always fun when you do something well. Um, So I thought, okay, this is something that I have an aptitude in and I'm just going to pursue that. But so technology was something I knew that I could do and that I probably would not be some trend job and could probably take me long term. I'm a big advocate of being a long term thinker. And so um, I knew something in technology. So when I had the opportunity to get a job at, at the time, the MLS was called the Wasatch Front Regional Multiple Listing Service. Um, so Wasatch is like the mountain range because you know how real estate describes like the geography. It was a newly formed regional MLS and they were just transitioning over from the the stellar and lightning and like the terminal days when I started working there as like a 1099 trainer and they were first transitioning over to an internet-based MLS. They had registered a domain and um, they were putting their information online on this internet thing, which I, I mean, I think they started doing that in 1995. I, started working with them in 1998. And so, yeah, it was uh, a beginning, like my foot in the door was training, but then they had a help desk job. And so I took a help desk job and the help desk job was with realtors that weren't necessarily happy with uh, the transition of technology. So, <laughs> I yeah. Oh, change. Uh oh, change. <laughs> and it was a big change because yeah. it was. Uh, and I remember getting told I was going to be picketed, not me, but the company was going to, you know, have a picket outside my door because what do you mean we have to have internet access? Do you know how much internet access was to? <laughs> And and then they have to have a computer that could support Netscape Navigator. You know, that's not easy to do. My existing terminal doesn't do that. And so, you know, the the upgrade of hardware at the time was a huge issue and the service level. And anyway, so that's kind of where I cut my teeth in the MLS real estate world. (laughs) Did did Wasatch become utahrealestate.com? Is that how that... It did. So 
I mean, long story short, I worked my way up from that initial training and help desk role to become the CEO. And when I became the CEO, we went through a, a branding exercise to say, you know, Wasatch, most people couldn't even pronounce it. <laughs> you know, it's like an Indian Native American tribe, I think. I don't know. I'm not the history person, but like everybody knew Utah real estate because this was the public facing website that consumers knew. And so the recognition was automatic in Utah for anyone that said, oh yeah, of course I've been on Utah real estate. I spent hours and hours every day because that was before Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com was there. But I mean, in our area, Utah real estate was where consumers went to look for real estate. Was that early in the game for an MLS to be public facing like that? That sounds um, very innovative. It was. And I, and again, I can't take credit for that. That was something that was actually legally uh, a precedent. There was a lawsuit over the domain name, Utah Real Estate, that again, went back to, I believe, 1995, 1994 in there, somewhere when I was on the help desk. So I certainly can't be attributed any, um, you know, any success as far as like the creation of that. But it went to show that those MLSs that kind of embraced the way that consumers wanted, you know, they were the ones that got the name out there and got that early adoption. Early adoption does matter in business. So yeah. um, as CEO, can you share some of the things that you kind of uh, initiated there? We developed all of our own software. So that's why it was in line with, I mean, your earlier question, 15 year old Rebecca, what did I want? I knew that technology was something that I, I love to do and love to learn about because you have to constantly learn <laughs> if you're going to be. So I did, um, after I started working there, I went back to school and got not just a bachelor's degree in computer science, but then also uh, a master's degree in technology commercialization so that I could bring technology to the real estate industry. And so during both of my degrees, I had different projects that I worked on that involved taking technology from just what was happening in general and bringing it to real estate. And so it was there that I became very much involved in not just um, different technologies for the MLS there, like we built our entire own front end website that we redid the entire consumer website and all of the office infrastructure that an MLS has to have, like, um, you know, like our Q&A knowledge base, our help desk knowledge base, um, our membership system, like all of that we built in house within like two years. And I remember trying to bring that in under $2 million and we did that. So it was like a, a really fun project to try to align everybody, uh, including the volunteer leadership to really like nose down and stay focused so that we could deliver stuff. And we were able to do that. And then I remember part of my college career was about the agile project management process. Mm -hmm. I, thought, I hear some sprints coming and some stand-ups and okay, go ahead. Oh, all of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like the Agile Manifesto actually happened at Snowbird, which is a ski resort in Utah. 
And so I remember learning about it in my college career and saying, you know, when I became CEO, we had been promising everybody things for a number of years. And, you know, now it was uh, time to deliver. And I knew that I couldn't keep doing things the way that things have been done if we were going to deliver all of these different promises to realtors that, I mean, really they deserved. So we switched project management processes and our office space and our philosophy. I mean, pretty much um, you have to do that all together, like new sheriffs in town type thing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sitting here thinking there were probably some longtime staffers who'd been there a while that you had to win over uh, in that process, much like, you know, in the, in that nonprofit world that you live in, you know, the, and I try to explain this to people that are outside of the world of real estate, but there's a board of volunteers, right. That are, that are ultimately the person, the people who can decide to hire and fire the CEO. Yeah. That's interesting. Talk about that relationship and, and how that all kind of came together when you were trying to make this huge change. Well, I mean, I have to like go back to the time the board of directors of Utah real estate was only six individuals. And I'm not going to say that they were all my fans. Um, (laughs) You know, not every meeting was functional. And a lot of that was my fault. I didn't necessarily know all of the leadership skills. Um, When I became the CEO, I think I was 29 years old and I, you know, I had come up through the ranks of the, the software development arm. So I worked my way out of the help desk into the development department. And, um, and then in like the CIO was my job title before I became CEO. So (laughs) there were so many individuals on the board that could look past maybe some of my remarks and say, no, you can do this. And, but for them, I wouldn't be where I am today. So it was, the ability to see where the organization had the capabilities to go that really brought us there. Um, So, you know, (laughs) I could name names if you want me to, I don't know, but it it was those board members. I mean, they they were vital. They were absolutely vital. That's amazing. 29 years old. Uh, I can imagine the grizzled veterans for the most part sitting around you that, you know, you could be used as mentors at times, right? For it to yeah. develop those leadership skills. That's just wonderful. Um, but but then the big city comes calling. Right. <laughs> and I can't even imagine the transition from small Lake City is what you called it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, to, it is. To, to like Chicago. Chicago. Talk, talk about that transition. How'd the family handle it? <laughs> How did that go? Well, um, so I had gravitated uh, towards more industry-related roles. When I became CEO of Utah Real Estate, I, I quickly realized that, you know, Small Lake City can't deliver everything that brokers need. And so it's the, like the right tool for the right job type mentality. And so mm-hmm. I became involved um, at the ground floor, really, of the Real Estate Standards Organization, aka RESO, or some people say RESO, which used to be simply a project within the National Association of Realtors. Like, it was a staff-driven project there. Um, And 
in conversing with a lot of my MLS executive colleagues, we knew that this was absolutely vital for the core value of an MLS, which is all about data, you know, going back to your earlier comment, we need to be involved in this and we can't just put the entire burden on the NAR and their volunteers. Like we need to help it. So I was, I think I was the first board chair and for several years of RESO after it was restructured. Oh, I don't want to say away from the NAR, but NAR still to this day remains a very important component, but we also included other segments of the industry, MLSs, vendors, brokerages, and other technology providers. So when I became involved in that, I was the chair and uh, Amred in Chicagoland, the board chair, Jeff Gregory, had seen me doing a presentation, I believe. And um, the CEO of Amred at the time was on my board of directors of RESO. And so there was a vacancy when, when Russ left that I, as the board chair of RESO, needed to address. And so I called the board chair of Amred and say, hey, you know, I'm just reaching out and <laughs> long story short, he said, Hey, we were thinking that maybe you would be interested in this opportunity and, you know, would it be something that you would at least entertain, which was very flattering, obviously. So I never really thought that I would end up living in Chicago land, but, you know, pursue opportunities. And one of my mentors, I'm a big believer in mentorship, um, David Sharon, who at the time was the CEO of MRAS. Yeah, I reached out to him and he said, create the opportunity to say no. Just talk to them. Just see what they have to offer. You don't have to say yes. Just create the opportunity to say no, which is what I did. And <laughs> there I am. But- I, I'm going to guess you've shared that uh, that phrase with a few people that look up to you. Right. It is. And that was David. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so the, the actual transition for how old were your sons then when you made the move to Chicago? Oh gosh, they were both in elementary school. Uh, so today they're 16 and 13, but uh, I think they were like in fifth grade and third grade at the time. Okay. So, Better than high school aged, right? So you could make that work. That was part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to say you had the, the right opportunity and everything. So that's, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to think of the weather situation just because it's just so intriguing. I mean, Utah could be sub zero, freezing cold snow, mm-hmm. but it could also be like a hundred in the summer. There were weird. Sure. Yeah. And I guess you have the same kind of thing in Chicago, right? You just lost all your terrain. Now it's skyscrapers instead of trailheads. <laughs> Yeah, the cement (laughs) mountains, right? Um, You know, we used to, because a lot of meetings are held in Chicago, or used to be, I guess, held in Chicago. So I would always like track the weather just from that. And I'm like, oh, no, it's the same as Utah. Well, no, it's not. (laughs) You know, in fact, I remember thinking, where is the blue sky? Because it rains so much here. And that I got... Uh, I don't know, one day looking at, I think it was weather.com or something. And we get more rain than London. We're like almost the same as Seattle, only the variance is different. It rains a lot here and Utah's a desert. So (laughs) it is totally different. It's very green here, um, but without the geography. And so, but you know what? The culture here is completely different. So, you know, I still haven't even 
looked or eaten at all the restaurants within like a three mile radius of my house. (laughs) And the culture is completely like when I moved to Illinois, I had a whole crew from my neighborhood show up my door and welcoming. And that's just the Midwest mentality is just people are so nice here. And so it's more about the people I have found in the Midwest and the culture um, whereas Utah seemed to be more about the geography and the hiking trails. So it's just different, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you volunteer a lot. So tell me, tell me why that's important, you know, especially in the, in the real estate space. Well, I want to stay at the top of my game and, you know, my goal is to serve brokerages. And so I do a lot as much as I can to, not just reach out and let people know what's happening, but also to hear what are the pain points? What are the problems that need to be solved? I am motivated by the big, hairy, audacious goals. I remember going to an Inman conference like years ago. I think I was just barely uh, the board chair of Riso when Brad Inman was up on stage and said that data standards are never going to happen because realtors can't get in a room and agree about anything. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to make you eat your words, right? Like <laughs> it's going to happen. And I mean, it has, but it's not without a lot of work. So yeah. I involve myself in these organizations to the extent that they want me to kind of make the circle complete. So obviously MRED is an MLS that is one of the, I think we're like in the top five as far as number of realtor count, but then I'm the chair of RESO for data standards and uh, MLS grid, which really just takes the RESO data standards and puts them into practice. I am also been named recently to the executive committee of the broker public portal, which is like the public facing MLS website that the industry has put together. Um, So that harkens very much back to the days of me working at Utah and, you know, helping utahrealestate.com become one of the best websites in the area. Um, and then I also stay sharp. I've been privileged to be on the board of directors of the California Regional MLS, which is the largest MLS in the country. So, you know, all of those things help me not just stay sharp in my craft, but then also bring the different ideas from the brokerage community wherever they have to happen to be, not just in the Midwest, but, you know, anywhere to the different organizations that can make a difference. Um, so that's the reason that I stay involved well, in this. As an MLS, your customers are really the brokerages, right? That's that's They're the ones that, we hear this all the time, the listing belongs to the, the brokerage, right? Mm-hmm. That's how it's set up in the real estate space in, in the United States. But ultimately, you know, you have all these subscribers, right? All these agents coming mm-hmm. in there too, and they've got to access it too. How do you handle both? audiences. I mean, you have to, is it, does it the same thing work for everybody or is there this definite? Okay. Let's talk about that. It does not. And, um, I think I heard you say that MLSs think that brokerages are always the priority and my experience is they do not. Absolutely not. In fact, um, I've been honored by being asked to facilitate strategic planning sessions for other MLSs. 
And, you know, so I actually did one this year where that board of directors said, it's not the brokerage, it's the agent. And so it really depends on the individual location. And so when I went to work at MRED, I needed to have crystal clear expectations from the board of MRED with respect to that, because assuming things, you know, what happens when you assume things. So <laughs> I didn't want to do that and, you know, move everyone to the Midwest for nothing. So, uh, so MRED is a hybrid ownership structure where it's owned by brokerages and by associations. And so our first strategic planning session, we very clearly voted on brokerages being the primary above associations and above agents. And you have to make different decisions based upon that. I remember even going back to Utah real estate, like part of the agile process is defining your priorities. So, you know, in Utah, it was a little bit different. We had to pay a little bit more attention to associations and agents, but I had to figure out like the 80-20 rule. You know, 80% of the value absolutely comes from 20%. And you better be spot on on that 20%. Otherwise, you're down a path that is going to go to nowhere. So I still believe that to this day. And with brokerages, with MRED, you know, it absolutely has... Uh, shaped our strategic plan. And I'm a huge advocate of having a very disciplined planning process that takes, you know, not just what's happening in the industry, but you've got to have at least a three to five year outlook on where things are going to go. And that's what I did with Riso. You know, I knew that data standards were just to pop out in two months, <laughs> you yeah. know, especially yeah. with adoption. But now, I mean, we look at where Riso was, which I remember it being a, a conference room at the NAR headquarters in Chicago. And now it's a sold out conference globally with people all over the world being engaged. And but that was always the vision. So yeah, anyway, I don't know if that answers yeah. the question. But. No, that's, that's great. That's great. We got to bring up 2020. It's, we're still in 2020. How did uh, MRED handle the challenges that were presented by the pandemic? Uh, pretty well. And sure. I mean, I, part of it was when I became CEO of Utah Real Estate, it was in 2007. So <laughs> I you know, became the CEO of like, I think our membership at that time was knocking on 16,000 subscribers. And then every single month I reported, it was down and down. It was like the free fall chart. And we went ultimately, I think to almost like, I don't know, 12 or 11,000. It was just horrible. <laughs> so yeah. and I was looking at each bank every day thinking who's going to fell next and what do we do? And just like, so, you know, baptism by fire. <laughs> and so when I came to MRED, one of the first things that I did because of the weather, honestly, was say, Hey, um, we need to have a catastrophe plan. Like it's, it's fine now. This is in 15 and, you know, everyone's working great. And MRED staff is incredibly talented and there is going to be a rainy day. So we need to not only fortify ourselves um, with respect to like financials and, you know, reserve policies and things like that, but also I 
uh, knew that the weather was an issue. And at the time I had employees driving into the office under ice storm conditions and the power was out. And I was just like, this is crazy. We need to have the ability for every staff member to work from home. We're in the Windy City with some of the worst weather ever. Like, so we had already begun all of that. So by the time, luckily, that COVID hit, like we had already been to the transition where staff preferred working at home. And wow. so it was kind of a struggle to get them to come into the office so that when COVID hit, people were like, no, we got this. We already know it. And so that was very nice. And now it's really weird because I didn't know the area and I moved within walking distance to the Emirate office. And now I go in and there's nobody there. <laughs> it just, <laughs> and it's like a Wednesday, 10 AM and everybody's working. It's just the office space doesn't matter. So, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think, I think long-term there's going to be, obviously there's going to be a whole rethinking of what the workplace looks like uh, as we move forward as a country, yeah. right? As a world, <laughs> to be honest. So, well, um, real estate, the industry itself changes. So I, I think yeah. I mentioned that I started working in the industry in 1998. So when 2001 hit the dot-com bubble, 9-11, and I saw the huge increase in membership, uh, which is very reminiscent of what we're going through right now, because Emred's subscriber numbers have never been higher than, well, I shouldn't say never, since I've been there. They haven't been hired because we have a complete influx of agents. And, you know, consolidation is part of that where MLSs and the the industry is definitely, you know, aggregating economies of scale together. But I also see a lot of people in flux into the real estate business. And it's similar to what happened after the dot-com bubble burst and people were, you know, looking for an alternative career in real estate. So I see a lot of echoes. Rebecca, I've had you here over the time I've asked, and I do the same thing on every episode. I ask the same final question to every guest. So here's your shot at it. It's what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? Understand why you are now in the business. So there are part-time agents that think that this could just be a supplemental part of their income. And then there are people that think that, you know, for the economy is not doing well as far as, you know, people are absolutely losing their jobs and they might see real estate as an easy way to change a career. And it's not as easy as HGTV or some of the programs might have you think. So if you're going into the real estate industry as an agent because you've lost your job and this is going to be your new job, then make sure that you treat it like a job. Don't expect 10 hours a week of work to equivalent, like give you the, the 40 hour a week paycheck. It's not the way it works. You need to put in a ton of work in the, especially in the beginning for a new agent, which I think your question was about new agents. Don't, don't think that it's just some easy career path. It might look that way on the outside, but it takes a lot of time and effort and discipline and create uh, an actual business for yourself. And you can absolutely be productive and successful in that, but it's not some, you know, given. So don't treat it that way. 
Rebecca, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, you know, I'm on social media or just simply Rebecca at emeraldllc.com. I mean, <laughs> so, however, I'm pretty easy to find. So <laughs> this, this was really wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. I, uh, I find it fascinating that first of all, that you said, yeah, I'm not doing this thing the way everybody else is doing it in high school. We're going to go this way and this is where you end up. That's that's just fantastic, and it's it says a lot about you and and uh, you know congratulations on everything that you've you've achieved so far, and I can't wait to see where you where you keep going. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Bill. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash re sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to the real estate sessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released.